from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. <laughs> well, welcome back to another episode of Life to Labyrinth podcast. My name is Bryn. I'm Angie. And fitting with, as you're we just talking about, fitting with it being heartbreak music February, Stephen. Stephen told us that we have to be on a break. <laughs> Stephen's family needs him a little bit more than he has time for us at this point. So, Godspeed to our fellow presenter, and may everything that's going on in his world settle down and he can sort of return more to normal. But I guess the pandemic is affecting everybody in new and interesting ways. So, he will be back at some point, but for the time being, he's going to be coming when he can, and it'll just be Angie and I for the for the other weeks. We may try and slot in a couple of guests just so we have extra points of view, since Angie, you and I seem to fall pretty equally into the same kinds of music. So true. It's not it's not going to be quite as much fun without us being able to subject Stephen to our <laughs> musical taste, and I suspect it won't be as fun to see him sort of gleefully su- subject us to his. So I don't know. Maybe he'll uh, offer some suggestions offline and we can listen to them and discuss how we feel about listening to steven's music but it seems sort of i don't know we'll figure something out he assured us it wasn't us and it was him yes (laughs) (laughs) is it me is it us no you can cut this out (laughs) (laughs) yes so so we may see other people during your time away but you were the one that told us we were on a break (laughs) yeah (laughs) nailed it so we miss you. Hope you're doing well. We will can't wait for you to return. 100%. So this week we kick off Heartbreak February and it was my pick and I chose an album that was sort of representative. I guess it's something that I listened to a lot in my very first ever relationship back when I was like 15, 16 and I listened to it afterwards and it is the Supertramp album Crime of the Century. So I've been listening to this album, I guess, like almost half my life at this point on and off. Still something I really like. Angie, did you know Supertramp other than Logical Song? No, I knew a few songs, but embarrassingly, I I don't, you know, when you know all the songs, but you've never really connected them to a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me. I knew, I think, two or three of the songs from this album. And uh, I just had kind of written it off to other bands from that era and I think never really put that together with Supertramp so Mm. it was a lot of fun to kind of connect the dots on some of those obvious things that I've just I guess spaced on forever (laughs) (laughs) so this this album I think and this band sort of keeps with our recent history of doing bands from the UK (laughs) (laughs) we're now officially a british music podcast that's right we're just reviewing (laughs) british music of all of all uh genres and time frames i mean life to labyrinth sounds like a david bowie reference anyways i think the plan is to review the labyrinth soundtrack on our one year anniversary i think that was the plan okay well it already sounds like a british podcast title so roll with (laughs) it so super tramp english rock band formed in london in 1970 Marked by the individual songwriting of founders Roger Hodgson and Rick Davis, or Davies? Yeah, their their biggest hits are not from this album, I would say. Maybe one of them is probably pretty well-known. Most of their well-known songs are from their Breakfast in America album. So Logical Song, Breakfast in America, Take the Long Way Home. Those are all from Breakfast in America. Massive album. My dad would argue that it's the better of the two, (laughs) and I disagree. 
but I don't know. I, th- I like this album a lot. I think it's more of a concept album. I think it's more of like a, a listening experience. I think Breakfast in America is more like of its time. It's late 70s, early 80s. It's more singles where Crime of the Century feels more like, you know, mid 70s headphones, stoner party kind of space rock album almost. Can I interject with a stupid question that I should have researched before we started? Mm-hmm. Progressive rock? What is that? I don't know. I I don't really know what it means either. I just think whatever Rush is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, progressive rock is a broad genre of rock music that developed in the UK and the US through the mid, late to 1960s. Okay, I just saw the first thing I saw was that they were like prog rock. And I was like, you know what? I don't know what the fuck that is. (laughs) Okay, it's based on a fusion of styles, approaches, and genres, which I feel like could be a lot of different things but anyways that's something i'll look into but that was the first time i thought i've heard that term and haven't looked into it so guess what i still haven't looked into it consistency is important it's (laughs) i'm gonna keep ignoring that term in fact (laughs) i watched this guy on youtube and and he basically he like restores dead cars but he tries to do it on a budget and it's sort of like a humor channel, not so much an educational channel. He's always like, I'm going to do the right thing and just pretend I didn't see that. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just going to pretend we didn't see progressive rock as of right now. (laughs) So carry on. (laughs) So I guess if it's heartbreak, I need to. So this was, like I say, this was the album, I guess, of my very first relationship. I was, I believe 15 when we started dating and we dated for like a year and a half, kind of on and off a little bit. She she was somebody that really liked classic rock. Her dad was really into it. He had a really nice sound system in the basement, which is where we used to like listen to albums like this. He had really nice speakers and shit. I like the fact that I can revisit this album and be so far away from that relationship that I have literally no feelings whatsoever. I met this album during that time of my life, but I've emotionally come so far away from it that this doesn't take me back there. And I know when you mentioned when you have your pick that that wasn't the case for you, but I guess we'll get into that next week. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is I kind of, when I was thinking of like heartbreak music, was thinking of the music afterwards that you turn to, to kind of like have that emotional release and closure and whatever. And what you and I have both done is picked the songs that we were listening to during the relationship <laughs> and then held on or whatever, or held on for a certain period of time after, which is funny that we kind of both did the same thing. Cause that's not what I had envisioned with this. And I was like, I listened to this after. And then I thought, no, I listened to this after cause I'd listened to it the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, I, w- I wish we had maybe for our second picks, we'll pick, you know, the really good rage music or something. Okay. But- <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest challenge I had with with this suggestion of yours is for the most part after a relationship the music I listen to post relationship is is usually not an album it's usually like a playlist or it's a it's a smattering exactly. of things or I just stop the first thing I usually do after when I'm that sad if I'm really heartbroken after a breakup is I stop listening to music altogether which is intense cuz I do the opposite I like 100% immerse myself into the saddest or rageous music I can find mm-hmm. that's usually phase 2 of a really bad breakup for me that's when I start listening to music again I start listening to sad or angry music depending i guess on the nature of the breakup but the first like stage one i guess of the grief for me is i just shut myself off from all music 
And I think it's maybe a defense mechanism so that I don't associate music I like with those feelings. I'm not sure, but that's that's a conversation. Or you try not to feel feelings. Or that, yeah. So, but that's a conversation for a different couch. So. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Well, I'm glad you said that because when I was listening to it, I was kind of wondering how it played into the heartbreak music, which I didn't like. I didn't want all the details, but it's not uh, angry or it's not weepy and it's not, uh, it didn't fall into those things that I was kind of expecting. So thank you for that quick explanation because now I get it. It's you were in it. That kind of took you past it. But uh, yeah, it was interesting for me. It's not something I super... Like there's tons of bands I love from this era. And for some reason, this is just one of the ones that's like slipped through the cracks a little. Sure, that's fair. And uh, it was fun to listen to. It was, I don't think something I would probably listen to again, but I do know that I listen to the those songs on the radio all the time, all the time. But it's funny, I was trying to picture like, Bryn breakup listening to these <laughs> right right you bloody well right. and I'm like yeah wow that's a different headspace to be in when you're like pissed off or sad to have kind of that like kind of hilarious song I think, I think it was more like hide in your shell and asylum <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> those songs I know hide in your shell definitely I listen to post yeah, yeah. So I think, like, when I listen back to it, yeah, there's Bloody Well Right and Dreamer definitely don't fit into, like, post-breakup sad sack music. But yeah. I think a lot of the other songs do. I think it's, yes, I think it's an I... emotional album with the exception of those two songs. I think, and for me anyway, I think, you know, I think a lot of the songs, the ones that Roger Hodgson writes, and Roger Hodgson is the, the singer with the higher voice. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what he writes is very emotional and at least it is for me the his lyrics are emotional i think his voice is emotional he he puts a pretty on a pretty emotional performance in some of these recordings so again not having listened to it in the context of a breakup album in a really long time and just sort of every once in a while putting it on listening to it and kind of moving on it i sort of could see where some of these songs would have been stuff that i would have dove into post breakup yeah no you're right there are definitely songs for that i of course got stuck on the ones that i had already heard and knew and was kind of placing that into that context but um i can see when the other guy sings who's not roger hodgson why i thought why i thought (laughs) yeah that i think he's why i kind of put these in the oh that's pink floyd or like, it's kind of similar and kind of same era. And I think that is why I kind of maybe um, spazzed on Supertramp for a variety of reasons. But um, well, I think it's, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that because it's something that I looked into because I was like, this is a, a concept album. At least I would say it is. And it comes very, very shortly after Dark Side of the Moon. This album came out in... Yeah, this album was released in September of 74. It was recorded February through June of 74. Dark Side of the Moon was released in March 90, uh, 73 and recorded June to January of 73. So this is definitely like Dark Side of the Moon came out and then kicked the door down for albums like this. And this came out 
like less than 12 months later. Okay. And the other or maybe not. parallel that I had for some more reason. Than 12 months later. Sorry. A little more than 12 months later. That's so, that's so I wasn't doing the math. I was not, I was not math. <laughs> I, we, checking probably at all. least we have smart listeners and they're going to just be like, these people are morons. I'm <laughs> like one year, calendar. 17 years. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I kind of already had that Pink Floyd filter on for some reason. I laughed that the first song was about school because mm-hmm. I immediately thought Breaking the Wall. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Like, not only am I getting these bands like the wires crossed, but right off the bat, there's kind of the same hilarious theme of actually talking about yeah school or teachers or whatever. So just to confuse me more, <laughs> that threw me off. I was listening to school. I was listening to this album in the car with the girls. And when school came on, they were like talking and I wanted to hear it. And I kept turning it up a little bit slower and slower. And then the little girl in the, screams in the recording and they both burst out laughing. <laughs> uh, and then there was like a 10 minute solo. That I'm sure they did piano solo or something yeah. <laughs> that they I'm sure just loved. <laughs> I also, it really threw me because it was the beginning of the album and that harmonica vibe is how an In Excess song starts. Okay. I think Suicide Blonde. So I immediately was like, oh my God, I have the wrong album up. (laughs) (laughs) And I walked over like, no, this is a really, this is a really long harmonica intro, (laughs) but it sounds exactly like In Excess, which would be a, they'd be a great band to look at. I've never listened to them. So yeah, if you want to kick it into the can, I'd be cool to have yeah, an excuse yeah. to listen to them i have there's a couple songs that i know and i adore but i'm not sure i've really delved into the album so i am writing that down on my random piece of paper that i will lose immediately after this naturally <laughs> i i remember going through my dad's records when i was a kid to find and he had an NXS album down there i don't remember which one oh, and i was like badass. i was like dad who's inks <laughs> <laughs> who's inksa <laughs> inksus I'm dying to find the documentary about um, the lead singer, Michael Hutchins. I'm struggling to find it, but yeah, Hmm. sidetracked already. But I think In Excess would be a a fun band to look at. Yeah, totally. They're British, right? They'll they'll fit in. Uh, Australian. Australian? I think so. Yeah, because wasn't he dating Kylie Minogue? Hold on. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're saying saying a lot of words that I understand, but I have no way of verifying if that's the correct order. Australian rock band. And yes, he was definitely involved with Kylie Minogue, who is uh, also Australian. Kylie Minogue. And in this part of the world, a one hit wonder largely, as far as I know, but apparently massive pretty much everywhere else in the world. Massive in England. Massive. Yeah. Shows up on Graham Norton a lot, since he's one of the things we like to talk to talk about a lot. (laughs) Oh, God, I love Graham Norton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the guy, what's his name, that, that plays Loki in Marvel? He went on the Graham Norton show and did his impression of Graham Norton. What Was it amazing? It was. It's on YouTube. You should check it out. Because he's like, well, you've never been on the show. So hello, 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 hello. He's like pointing. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah, I forget his name. He was, everybody was thirsty for him a few years ago. And I knew his name then, but I subsequently forgotten it. Holland. Or yeah, something. I can picture him. Yeah. I can picture it. No problem. Anyway, he does like pretty spot on impression of Graham Norton. That's awesome. He, uh, Graham Norton's also, because I also am a broken record about this. Uh, he's a judge on RuPaul UK. That makes sense. Oh, I felt like my world's colliding <laughs> a little bit. Not like my world is RuPaul, but I, I remember when I moved back from England, trying to like 
preach the word of Graham Norton mm. and really pushing it on people. I'm sure you were one of them because I we reconnected after I came back and I'm sure I was just trying to spread the spread the Graham Norton love because I knew it wasn't over here. Like there was nothing showing it on TV and I just thought it was the greatest raunchiest little romp that ever did exist. I love it. I found it through YouTube. I don't think I've ever sat down and seen a whole episode of it on TV. Is it what is it on BBC? Is it on ITV? What's it broadcast on? Oh, I can't remember. Okay, well. But it's all, I mean, it. I feel like it just shows up in those little clips on Facebook or whatever all the time. And then you just get into these wormholes of endless, like, <laughs> wee clips. And that's, it's also, it's a great way to watch it. Like, who cares if you've seen a show from beginning to end yeah. when they point out the funniest parts? It's so fucking funny. <laughs> British humor has a way of just, like, kind of taking the wind out of you sometimes. Yes. Because it's so, like... <laughs> <laughs> what i can't believe they're doing this hilarious (laughs) so i guess apparently he started on channel four and now he he's he's on bbc now okay this is a really big deal i've heard like changing whatever broadcasting networks blah 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 Mm -hmm. because i got really deep into um it's so funny the music is playing in the background and i was like is this pink floyd holy fuck i'm still doing it I got really, really deep into the Great British Bake Off, and there was a wonderful, much older lady on it called Mary Berry. I have seen it, yes. I've seen a few episodes, and I know who Mary Berry is. I have not okay. seen enough. I sort of, I, I'm, I've watched, like I say, I've watched enough things like Big Fat Quiz of the Year, and like I'm, I'm engaged in enough British television culture to know about what's going on yes. in the Great British British Bake Off, but I've never really watched it, and I'm sad about that. But I feel like. It's just one of those shows I want company for. <laughs> you can just Instagram, FaceTime, whatever me, and we'll watch it together because I've already watched it all and I would rewatch it because I think it's just adorable and fun. But Mary Berry was on it. And as I was watching it, she leaves on uh, like one of the later seasons and I have a full meltdown about it, <laughs> start researching it. And she left because they left BBC to go to another network and she was like no i'm a bbc lady and i was like god only in england are you like bbc first yeah adorable american tv they're just like will anyone pick this up like when community ended up on yahoo for a season like they're just like is anyone willing to put this out and pay us so we can keep working but yeah, I think I think it's like a, the class system in the UK, like anything, right? Once you've been to BBC, can you really go elsewhere? I don't know. I can't step down to any other channel. I'm Mary Berry and I'm BBC only. Yes, <laughs> unless uh, unless it's Amazon. Apparently it's fine to go there. Ugh, the worst. Well, that's where uh, Top Gear UK went. Those guys went to Amazon and started the Grand Tour. Oh, yeah, but I noticed that. That's what I'm waiting to. I accidentally <laughs> got Amazon for the 17th time because I... I'm a space space tard. Yeah, yeah, okay. And we were talking about that yesterday, the Top Gear America that I'm interested in checking out. Yes, I do that too. I would do it. Once my life settles a little bit, my kids have been here for like two weeks, feels like now, week and a half, something like that. And I really need to find a second job again. So let me try to settle into how much free time I actually have and then sort of dive into some of that stuff. What happened to the other second job? Well, I had... Uh, it was seasonal. It was seasonal. Yeah, oh, so God. the one I had, I lost it for reasons. And uh, 
And then I got a yeah seasonal job that they kind of kept alluding would go longer and it might have for some people, but it didn't for me. So got it. Okay. I haven't put enough effort into replacing it, but with like COVID being so bad, it's not really, it's not really a good time. To yeah. Find. Well, it's, it's difficult to find jobs. I think there's probably a lot of people who are looking for them, but also it's like, am I really that eager to jump back into front facing customer service? Yes. And as I have mentioned to you before, lovingly, a lot of the work at home job market has just like opened up regionally. Yeah. So if you don't have to go to work, you can live anywhere and work for whatever. So I'm sure there are interesting work at home jobs in your skill set because you seem to be a computer dude More or less. of some sort. <laughs> like, I would call myself the opposite. <laughs> you do computery things? Sure. I'm like, someone tell me how to plug in this microphone. Is it in? Is it on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really yeah. good idea, actually. Looking for like part-time jobs that I can do from home too. So I don't have to go somewhere. That's not a, that's, I, don't know. Yeah. I, I took that to heart. I actually did a little bit of a scan today to see what jobs were kind of available. And instead of being like available in Edmonton, I just put like available anywhere. And it was like right. remote available. Like yeah, a job in Burnaby. Where you are now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that I was, I needed someone and it turned out to be you to point me in the direction of, uh, you don't have to try and find something physically in your area anymore because a lot of businesses don't care. If you have an internet connection and you're a human being, you can probably do the job. And I only know that because I'm like totally working from home now and people are moving to other parts of the country and maintaining their employment here. So that is opportunity. Yes. I think that's the, I think I've just been in the private sector too long and Edmonton's very like old school. Um, Alberta is so there's still a lot of people that are like businesses that are like, we don't want you to work from home. Like you're coming back to the office. So yeah, there are still businesses here that do that. Yeah, So you just got to get rid of that old school attitude. But it's, I think it's a lot of it is that attitude of like, if we don't know that you're here, we don't know that you're working. Yeah. It's been a huge shift overall because what used to be in my place of employment was like, you're here and that's all we care about. Not necessarily what, is being accomplished yeah. but i can't i don't want to say too much because of who i work for the punchline is once we all started working from home the productivity was kind of easier to measure because we produce things like things go out and the productivity actually went up oh, yeah. and you could see because i don't know if anyone actually comp- compared the statistics for when we were in the office but there was no doubt that it went up and we were all doing more working from home and I don't know it's been life-changing not having to like wait for the bus for an hour while my feet freezes off and being next to my own bathroom which is a big deal for anyone that knows me I'm a little high maintenance (laughs) it's it's been it's been um yeah I thought I would lose my mind because I'm the extrovert I like to talk to people 75 times a day but I still do that I just do it on you know fucking MS teams or whatever Mm I still have my work wives that I talk to 17 times a day, but <laughs> I, yeah, I have shifted gracefully into working from home. I will tell you that I'm very, very grateful about that. Yeah, I think I, I know the job I'm in, the, there will definitely be an expectation for me to return to the office at least part time in maybe February or March. Like, I really don't know that it's one of those things where the people I work for are very, very health conscious when it comes to COVID because they're a family. 
And yeah, so because if one person goes, they all do. Yeah, exactly. So for most of the time that I've spent in the office and I've been with the company almost a year now of the little bit of time that I actually spent in the office was without them because they put them, the three of them on a shift with one of the technicians and they put the rest of us of which there's only three other of us that were at evil, like physically able to go to the office. There's, we work for a couple other with a couple other people, but one was basically, I think home all the time anyway. And the other guy had to be home all the time because his wife was sent back to work, but their kids don't have daycare and stuff. So he had to be stayed home anyway. So blah, blah, blah. It's been part time. We'd, we'd be there like alternate Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and home the rest of the week. And then when lockdown happened, they the family has been going into the office every day and we've all been at home because they don't want us there. Okay, okay. But and but we're in the process. But like everything can be done remotely. Absolutely everything can be done remotely. The, the but the pro- the issue is is that they were a little bit too far down the road of like moving offices. So I think had covid oh, yes, lockdown I, happened yes. slightly earlier, they may not have bothered pushing forward with actually acquiring us a new office and they would have sort of figured out where our deliveries and drop-offs could go but my boss has told me like you know um if we didn't need somewhere for people to bring their computers to to be fixed or packages basically to be dropped off she's like i would have just closed up and we all just would work from home because who cares right but well then that might be in the future it could be after the bloody lease runs out or whatever well they they're in progress of like our new office is almost done it's basically we need a furnace in it and then it's ready to go Okay. Um, so our furnace is supposed to not be there until like it's delayed. It's not supposed, it's supposed to be there. I think end of February or something like that. So there will be a period of time where we are all at home, but it's right. like, once the office opens, are we going back to alternate days or are they right, going right, to still right. send, keep us all at home? I don't know that, that part I think we'll have to go back a bit at some point, but I just can't see them being able to make us go back all the time considering we're doing it. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of pushback. You see it online a lot. People being like, my biggest fear at the end of the pandemic is being told I have to go back to the office. Yeah, I don't fit into any of my clothes. It's a fear. (laughs) (laughs) If I can't go back in stretch pants and hoodies, I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) I just I just don't want to go back. Like the the idea of, you know, dragging my ass out of bed an hour earlier than I need to to drive my car to a different building to sit at a different desk or stand at a different desk in my case to do the job that I've been doing literally in my bedroom for the last year. And then like, why? I know. Why? I know. It's crazy. You know, buying a, I have to buy a bus pass. Yeah. I have to usually freeze to death waiting for a bus that occasionally doesn't show up. One time I walked all the way to work and never saw my bus once. It took me an hour and a bit and I never saw my bus. Wow. And I was like, yes, 56. <laughs> it just seems totally crazy when you can roll out of bed at 8.20, at 8.30, be totally functional and productive and not have to worry about public transpo and packing your lunch. And anyways, everyone knows this because people are either doing it or they're not. But it's, um, I just hope it makes everyone reevaluate the workplace because it's... Uh, it's better for the environment. I think for some people, it's better for their mental health or whatever. So, or not. I don't know. It goes either way on that last part. Uh, yeah. I think there's some people that genuinely miss being in an office, I'm sure. Yeah. 
there are, there are certainly situations where I think this would be easier if we were just in the same room. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I mean, driving the hell out of my car just to drive it to another building to do my job. So what someone can make sure I'm there on time. Like, yeah, totally. I don't know. I don't know. And all those buildings, there's a group of buildings that I work at that are all, you know, for the government. Mm -hmm. And it's like, have everyone stay at home and demolish them. Those buildings are old and I'm sure they cost a fortune to run. Oh, probably. Like they are from the many, many moons ago. To pull us back to Supertramp for a second, did you happen to read the brief history of how they were formed on Wikipedia with that like Dutch bazillionaire? No, I, I missed that. I, I got to admit, I normally rely on the way that Steven and I kind of broke down the this stuff when we started was I was doing the editing and posting the episodes and he was kind of responsible for doing research on the history of the bands that we were talking about. So even though this has been my suggestion and his, you don't know shit about it. I kind of know shit about them because I haven't like, right. I think I might've seen the behind the music of them or something like, but this is fucking years ago. And yeah, unfortunately with Steven's unavailability, I didn't really have an opportunity to sort of dive into it. So if you have, please enlighten me. It's just like one of the dudes was in a band that was backed by a Dutch millionaire and then he was disappointed with the group and offered Swindon born Swindon born keyboardist Rick Davies, who left that band, an opportunity to form his own band. And this Dutch millionaire provided the financial backing. It's just a. It's not like one of your regular rock stories where it's like they were playing in small clubs and whatever. They were like, "Here's your golden ticket. Make it work." Almost sort of like a boy um, band situation. Yeah, he's, I guess, like the Simon Cowell of Amsterdam. I don't know anything about this person. But yeah, he immediately assembled with Roger Hodgson and and uh, other dudes and uh, backed by a Dutch millionaire. Huh. I would also start a band if any Dutch millionaires are listening. I would be interested. Bryn and I actually started a band once for about 30 seconds. <laughs> in somebody's basement and i think i sang half a song and was too stressed out by it and we stopped but i would be interested in reopening that yeah i mean i still own a ton of guitars <laughs> i could, I I could string them guitar. up and, and uh i'm sure i still remember how to play them <laughs> i know how to play the trumpet i can play a guitar i can hold a note uh, we have all the makings of something that needs to be backed by a millionaire. It's true. I can play drums, although I don't own a set of drums anymore. Ben's a mean drummer, my brother. That's right. I, that's right. I can play trombone still, maybe. I've had mouth surgery since then. I probably have to relearn how to actually make the sounds, but I remember like how to do it. <laughs> Where oh my god, we have a horn section right here? Yes! Let's see what I can I can play guitar pretty well, which means that I can play bass. At least I can find my way around a bass and being a trombone player. I understand how bass parts work. I can find my way around a keyboard. You know, it's going to happen. I already feel we're going to do it. I play guitar like C, <laughs> D. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like, why don't my fingers do this? <laughs> Fretting forever hurts me. I have very dainty hands. My uh, one of the things I started doing in 
maybe like a year ago, year and a half ago was I started, I was like, I'm going to start playing guitar again. And one of the things that I sort of stopped me doing it is I didn't really have an amp that worked for practicing. I have like a 200 watt Marshall thing and it's just, un- it's, it sounds wonderful, but it's not really conducive to playing in a townhouse. <laughs> right. hey, <Nick. laughs> so, uh, and so I bought myself this little, this little, uh, amp that I saw good reviews for online and it like you can connect it to your phone through Bluetooth and like it has a bunch of effects and a drum machine built into it and it's just like a little speaker basically and so I got that and I started like actually using YouTube to like become a better guitar player so I did that for a while and then again and I built a guitar to be like I'm gonna play I'm gonna build a guitar and it's gonna reinvigorate my desire and I really enjoyed building the guitar but I really haven't played it a lot Oh, bummer. But isn't that the way yeah I was like I really enjoyed I think I've just kind of come to a place where this I think I just like making things, but I don't really have the money or space to do it properly. I didn't, I didn't, I would never even think of making my own guitar because I'm so mediocre at it in the first place. But I have, I have my mom's like 30 year old, beautiful acoustic guitar. And I, I did also, I think at the beginning of the pandemic be like, this is it. I'm getting a whole bunch of guitar tabs and just jamming it out. (laughs) And then, oh my God, what was really funny is I found my old binder of guitar tabs from high school. Oh, dang. And I listened to the exact same music. I, it was so depressing. <laughs> I was like, Matt Good. Oh, Rolling Stones. Oh, no. <laughs> Leonard Cohen. Oh my God, it's all the same. It's all the same. I was so embarrassed because all the tabs that I had in like my tab, Ultimate Guitar app. Yeah. We're the fucking same. And I was like, yeah, I've grown as a person a ton. Well, that's why we're doing this podcast. And although we're not talking about yeah. it too much, we have listened to an album now that I guess you hadn't heard all the way through before. So yeah, for sure. For sure. It was just funny. That is funny. I think I did. I tried to break away from that largely when I was like, I just was like, I don't I wasn't. My plan wasn't to learn songs. My plan was to learn scales and learn how to play guitar better because I learned how to play a bunch of songs. I learned how to play chords and. I can sort of find my way around pretty well. But in terms of like knowing how to solo or understanding how like scaling worked and stuff on a guitar, I had no fucking idea. And so, you know, and when I was learning and back in like middle school and high school, when I was really serious about playing guitar a lot, YouTube didn't exist. And all of these like people who like have these step-by-step lessons online for free on YouTube, that didn't exist. So it was like, how do you play? Like I wanted to learn how to play Purple Haze. And I just like found a guy that like shows you how to do it. Awesome. So and then I learned how to play Purple Haze and I learned how to do like pentatonic scaling and major and minor and that kind of stuff. And I was sort of practicing that a lot before I kind of fell off the wagon again. But yeah, that was I seriously I still have the tab open to like sign up for music like guitar music courses online by this guy that a guitar learning course that you can sign up for it's like a monthly charge of only a few bucks but it's like until i know for sure i'm gonna do it yeah. <laughs> it's like i'm not getting another gym pass you know <laughs> yeah honest to god honest to god but like you were saying there's a lot of crazy free stuff on youtube i think that's the only thing i use youtube for is when i literally just don't know what i'm doing i'll youtube it that's how i learned how to build a guitar like i build an electric guitar by watching people do it on youtube that's how I learned how to pop the hood in my car. <laughs> also recent, not recently, kind of recently when I was at Ikea with Katie, we couldn't figure out how to get the seats down in her car and we were in the middle of the Ikea parking lot watching YouTube. 
No shame. No shame. I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is how we learn. This is how we learn and we've grown. And this is amazing. Thank you, YouTube. hundred um, percent. I had to, I, I want to get back to the album, but I'll tell you this story uh, to, to support you. What album? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a situation when my family was all still living together where our washing machine stopped draining and oh, I YouTubed right. it. I found the like the model was there. Someone was like, it's not draining. Yes. Like, it's probably something in the motor. And I watched this guy on YouTube take apart his washing machine, pull something out of the motor and put it back together. And so I was like, I can do that. I have a screwdriver. And I took it all apart and found a fucking Ziploc bag in the motor <laughs> of my someone washing machine. Their, someone left their weed in their pocket. Yeah. <laughs> boy hiding his gummies or something like that uh, um, so good. and then i was like yeah, i pulled the fucking ziploc bag out of the motor put it all back together and it worked amazing <laughs> so thanks uh thanks youtube as much as as much as it's we've talked about youtube being this like terrible thing as a parent it's actually fantastic as a grown person that like actually wants to like diy shit yeah absolutely and learn things so um super tramp Super Tramp, Crime of the Century. Still, I gotta, you know, I'll, I'll say, I think, you know, we talk about Desert Island albums, and I'm, and you mentioned earlier that this isn't something you'd probably listen to again. So you kind of buried, you know, you, you jumped the yeah, lead sorry, on that one I a little totally bit. Jumped That's it. okay. That's okay. But I think, yeah, I've been listening to this forever since I, yeah, like since I was 15. So it's not something that, like, it doesn't go back as far as, like, Krista Berg for me, like when Steven and I talked about, like, our first musical taste and like what our parents were introducing us to like my dad loves crime of the century apparently but i've never heard him play it or i should say he likes breakfast in america when i was saying like i didn't grow up with this this is something that i wouldn't have necessarily discovered and got into later on like i assumed that this was something that you were kind of exposed to as you were growing up in order to you weren't like hmm i'm 23 and all of a sudden i've discovered super trap i mean maybe but i just yeah i thought maybe you had got into this earlier and had grown up with it a little bit yeah i was like 15 16 in my first relationship with someone who you know <laughs> or knew i suppose at the time okay. long time ago don't worry i don't um, remember anything it's all it's good. fine it's not I say that probably this album is one of the only things really worth taking away from that other than like, yeah, I don't really feel like dealing with somebody that difficult again. <sighs> but I would say as much as like I can see now looking back, listening to this really influenced my taste in music moving forward. Because I think yeah. if I hadn't listened to this, I wouldn't have gotten into Relaxtronica, like Zero Seven, Air, like that stuff, like what you were talking about. I don't think I, re I heard this before I heard Dark Side of the Moon. I don't think I would have appreciated Dark Side of the Moon if I hadn't heard this already. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would have appreciated big orchestral sounds like these, like all these songs are recorded really well. They're recorded very like big sounding, even though there's not a whole lot of instrumentation. The, this is an album that really benefits from the studio because I have heard live versions of these songs. But this is one of the few albums that I would say, like, it benefits from the studio, okay. the recordings of it. So I would say this, although this album is perhaps, I really like it. And it's perhaps, you know, it's it's like, it's it's pretty good. It's certainly not, it's not a dark, it's not Dark Side of the Moon in terms of, like, sales. It's not even as successful as the album that they followed it up with. But I think it's, in my opinion, it's the one that's the best listening experience and I think it affected my taste in music right up to present, listening to things like Cigarettes After Sex. Mm -hmm. If you hear that kind of music and you think that I, I was exposed to this at 15, I think I can see how my musical taste developed 
with this kind of being introduced to me at a very influ- like impressionable age in terms of what I liked musically. Yeah, that makes sense. I w- like how much over here in North America, how like comparatively, how much more popular do you think Pink Floyd is compared to Supertramp? Massively. Ma- okay, that's what I thought. And it's funny because right before we went on, I was talking to my mom and I was like, yeah, we're doing Super Tramp. She's like, oh yeah, they have a bunch of songs I know, but I don't know. And I was like, mm-hmm. same. <laughs> same. <laughs> so I was just kind of wondering uh, to what extent, because everyone knows who they are. Everyone can name like two songs, but I mm-hmm. just wonder where they, you know, kind of panned out because they're obviously super famous, but uh, I didn't think they were comparable to someone like Pink Floyd. So I, yeah, I was just kind of curious where they landed on the knowability scale or historical relevance. Yeah, I think Super Tramp is a band. It's like much like your mom's experience, your experience. I think it would largely be like people have heard about Super Tramp. They've heard of Super Tramp, but it's like name a Super Tramp song. They're probably like, uh, but if you played them dreamer mm-hmm. or maybe bloody well right or breakfast in america logical songs certainly give a little bit if you play them those songs they probably be like i know all of these songs much like yourself right i think i thought logical song was rush i know someone shoot me now like i'm embarrassed, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. well roger hodgson and getty lee have sort of similarly falsetto we voices so i could see where that and and they're both progressive rock bands even though neither of us sort of know what that means <laughs> don't worry if you just throw it into a sentence confidently it doesn't fucking that's right. matter that's right just approach it confidently put your safety vest and grab your clipboard they and walk were right huge, in huge icons in the prog rock uh, arena yes. <laughs> if you uh if you've heard of it before um yeah, so I I would I would say yeah, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album is like it was on the Billboard charts for like two hundred weeks or something like that. Like Crazy. it's 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 insanity. It's almost it's like Frampton comes alive. It's like you're issued it when you move to the suburbs, <laughs> or like you're issued Dark Side of the Moon when you become a moody teenager. They put it on your seventies iPhone without telling you a la youtube (laughs) that was the rudest thing that ever happened that was very upsetting for me (laughs) i just i loved i loved the the aftermath of that where it was like people were showing like youtube being like google statistics it was like nothing and then it spiked up (laughs) like (laughs) who the hell's youtube and then like the the top like Google search thing for like a month after that was how to get rid of the U2 album on I your iPhone. Definitely Googled it. And me too. <laughs> I remember I was like, what in the sweet fuck is this? Yeah, what the hell? All of a sudden in like my random rotation was U2? No ma'am. No ma'am. <laughs> Not even like a good U2 album. It was like, what this is their new album? Yeah, I've come down on my harshness scale of U2, which used to be right up there with my no playlist. Like it's no, <laughs> no play zone. No bueno. Yeah. I've definitely evened out a little bit, but yeah, that like, no, no, no. Yeah. My, my more, my, probably my most significant high school relationship uh, that I had after there was the result, the one that happened after this, after the crime of the century breakup, uh, she really liked you too. And I remember at the time being like, but why? Yeah, I would be very judgmental about that. 
Yeah, she had she had interesting music taste. She really liked the Dave Matthews Band. I saw the Dave Matthews Band in concert because of her. Nice. I would say that's okay. Dave Matthews is all right. I think Dave Matthews got a rough. Has I think he's not remembered fondly, but he put on a hell of a show. That the thing he's one of those people that everyone in his band is an insane musician. I yeah. think it's sort of like Bruce Springsteen. It's like you either like Dave Matthews or you don't, but you can't really deny that everybody in his band is fantastic. Can I also <laughs> add Sloan to that list? <laughs> everyone in Sloan can like rotate and play the whatever instrument and sing whatever song, and you're just like amazing. Um, <laughs> Sloan, I mean, whatever, I'm throwing that into a big space, but uh, fuck, were you just saying, okay, so you know what just that made me think of, you saying Dave Matthews, in my head I filed that into like a Dave Matthews kind of like a Coldplay file, mm. and then today when we were going grocery shopping, as we were walking into the grocery store, it's cold here, it's minus 30, a guy was driving by slowly with his windows down in the car by himself cranking Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just kind of picturing him like doing the same thing to a Dave Matthews, like crash into me, you know, like it was such a weird song selection to be blaring with open windows, minus 30. <laughs> Driver seat in full Tupac mode. Just like. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, really, uh, I had a good laugh and I was trying to explain it to my partner through my mask while my glasses were fogging up and I was becoming Naturally. enraged and it was it was lost. <laughs> it sounds funny. Yeah. I saw, have you seen Coldplay live? I saw them live. I have not. I don't know how I missed that. I saw them on the Rush of Blood to the Head tour in Ottawa. Great. It was oh, good. Yeah. Their first tour. was like them at their height. I adore. I lived in England when uh, that one came out, I think. But, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I might pitch one of those for a breakup album. They're great. I would say, yeah, that's probably, it wasn't a breakup album for me, but it was definitely something I listened to during that relationship. Yeah, I was just, I definitely listened to it in England and I lived in England between 18 and 20 where I just was like constantly moody and depressed and partying. So (laughs) it was all a big breakup. It was all just a, what, what am I doing with my life? Let's get drunk. But what am I doing with my life? Let's get ripped. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, I, I recently I learned like by that, watching. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I learned I learned recently by watching a Helen Mirren interview that apparently getting getting really really drunk in England or at least from where she's from is called being completely assholed. Oh, wonderful! I was like, I like that. She was she was talking about running into Keith Moon from The Who, and he apparently he was like in a full pinstripe suit, like in the dumpsters behind a theater she was performing at. <laughs> <laughs> she's like this man he was like completely asshole like just covered in trash in a pinstripe suit she's oh like and then he came in and i heard him getting closer and closer anyway it was a whole thing but i don't want to retell her story because i can't tell it as well but my takeaway was apparently get calling somebody like somebody who's just like shit faced is calling them they're completely asshole i think we could do like a whole episode on the wonderful terms that brits have for being drunk actually <laughs> But I think my parents sent me a article recently saying British people are the drunkest in the world. Like how often they get, you know, X amount intoxicated. And I wrote back, I know, I don't even need to read that article. I'm aware. I know. That's where I learned to drink. I know. (laughs) I'll get there one day. It's good times. 
any I know we haven't talked about the album much, but I think this has been sort of we're we're really discombobulated with Steven not being here. But did I'm you sorry, I would have done more research. I uh well, I may not have. No, I would have. I would have just because I feel like I came in a little bit empty handed. Yeah, my yeah. notes were I thought this song was in excess. This is a long <laughs> piano solo. Is this Pink Floyd? Now they all sound the same. Those were my <laughs> notes. <laughs> I think my final thoughts, I think I kind of got into it. Like, I love this album and I don't see that changing. It's not something I listen to very much. I don't associate it with this breakup anymore. Yay. <laughs> but I think this is it's a Desert Island album for me, 100%. And I would That's say great. not that we not that we have at that list, but it's like I would throw this on like this is a dark driving album or headphones album. Like there's a lot happening. And if you are somebody that likes to, you know, I would say this would even be fun to listen to slightly intoxicated or high. There's a lot going on. If you have good headphones, there's a lot going on in this album that sounds really, really interesting. And it's cool how like they tie it all together. Where like there's the harmonica thing at the beginning of the song School, and then it ends with basically that same sort of harmonica and stuff at the end of the album on Crime of the Century. It's very much a concept album. It's and I think that's why a lot of the songs sound the same, is it's supposed to sort of be a, a whole listening experience and not sort of jostle you around too much. No, I was just going to say, you know what I've found with this podcast is when I'm listening to it before we talk about it, there's, I feel like there's a lot of pressure that I put on myself to like make sense of it and form an opinion. And I always form a negative opinion first and then have to work backwards because I'm just an mm -hmm. asshole, I guess. And then I will, like once the podcast is done, I don't ever have to listen to this again, but I will. I listened to Cupcake After, which I didn't think I would do. Um, <laughs> Like, I didn't listen to Bug Hunter, but uh, like, I have noticed that with things that I never thought I would listen to again, I kind of know that they're there and I will kind of peek back. So now that you've said all those things, like I might go back and listen to it and have a whole other appreciation. I sort of find the same thing. I, I always listen to the albums on the weeks that we have to review them because that's the whole point of the podcast. But I find that a lot of my time spent with this podcast is editing it. Right. So for me, it's like I'm constantly, you know, I'm thinking all about like, when do I need to get the next episode out for? How much of it do I still have to finish? You know, how many hours is that going to take me and stuff? And because I'm just I'm still not super efficient at editing our episodes yet. I think part of that could be the software I'm using. Part of that could be the fact that, uh, again, I'm trying to learn how to do it through YouTube and like my radio broadcasting days from like fucking 15 years ago. And then I'm, and I'm trying to stuff the album in on top of all that. Like I'm working, I got my kids, I'm trying to edit the episode. And then yeah, it's like, I'm trying to stuff the stuff, the album in on top of that. And it just, it feels like a lot of, yeah. Cause I want to like be able to talk about how I felt about it and stuff. And usually I find listening to the album will make me listen to other things. Like I, because yes, of this album, totally. I started listening to dark side of the moon again yeah. this week. I immediately put on an excess. <laughs> yeah. So I find that as much as like the albums that I connect with one way or the other, and I agree, there's been some that I haven't, you know, there's, there's been some of Steven's music that I've enjoyed listening to, but it's so departed from my musical taste as a general rule that it's difficult for me to go back. That being said, I have returned to some of the ones that he suggested. I've gone back and listened to the wrecks that he suggested 
And there was an album that he suggested called, oh God, what are they? Um, uh, wasn't there one that was called Bones or something? Bones UK. That is they it. That's great. the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I've gone back and listened to Bones UK. So I find that the thing, yeah, the thing that I find with this podcast is that like I listen to the albums we're listening to, but they usually inspire me to listen to something else. Which is just as fun, right? Which is fun. And I think it's it'd be fun to sort of talk about that as well. Instead of constantly diving into these like crazy tangents that have nothing to do with it, it'd be fun <laughs> to talk about like what did this album make you listen to as a result? Because I yeah. totally started listening to Dark Side of the Moon this week. Yeah. When we were listening to there was there was something we were listening to recently and it caused me to start listening to like old 90s rock music and stuff that I like mid 90s rock music that I'd forgotten about. Um uh, my, my everything. <laughs> so but I would say my my final thoughts on this album are I love it, and if you like Dark Side of the Moon and you haven't heard this album, give it a shot. I think I think it's really good. It's not long; it's only eight songs. And if you like instrumental stuff, you like songs that tell stories, you'll probably like this. If it's not none of it is particularly offensive or anything like that, it's it's a good just like put it on the headphones and darken room or and kind of let it kind of take you away. That at least that's what it does for me. And I appreciate putting the dots together and knowing. Whose uh, songs belong to this band? Yeah. Whose songs? Which songs belong <laughs> to this band? <laughs> that said, I'm going to say we don't have one every week, but this week I need to have a songbird. And the songbirds are singing Like they know this going Of course... Songbird, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, is a song that kicks you out of the flow of the album. So you're having a really great listening experience. And then all of a sudden the song and it's completely different than all the rest of them in some way. And it kind of takes you out of it and you kind of brings you back to reality in a really kind of harsh way. Named, of course, for Songbird from Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album, because that that song is just it rips you out so badly. <laughs> Beautiful song. So again, Songbirds are not bad songs. They're just songs that seem to like come from a different place than the rest of the album. Did you have one? Um, I would just say it was the two songs that I knew, but they're also kind of have a different vibe. So Bloody Well Right and Dreamer kind of just took me out because uh, I was just like, oh yeah, this. And then I was kind of thinking about how I was familiar with it. Mm. But I did find the rest of the album uh, like a little <clears throat> bit uh, different pace. Okay. Mine is Dreamer. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's a song that not only does it take me out of the song or the album, I don't like it. I really, I just really don't like that song. So when I'm listening to this album, I always skip it. And during this past week, I think I listened to the album a lot because I was enjoying returning to it. But I think I listened to Dreamer once. Mm. <laughs> and it was kind of an accident. It was just on and didn't realize that it was already playing Dreamer. And I find like with Dreamer, like once I get past the like beginning where it's like Dreamer, yeah, little Dreamer. When it's, it gets to the rest of the song, it's fine, but it's just no yeah, gross. I, and they I, and it's been used in like movie trailers and stuff a bunch. And it's just it, I think at this point it's just like it's just whatever it was supposed to be has been lost on me because I it just I don't like it. Yeah, I I concur. Feel free to skip it. I do like <laughs> Bloody Roll Right. I think I think it's it, it's different, but it doesn't kick me out of the album. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But yeah, so my one caveat would be if you want to listen to this and you get to Dreamer and you're like, Bryn's full of shit, um, just skip it and carry on with your day. <laughs> just carry on. Skip, skip Dreamer. Get to Rudy and kind of like get back into that feeling of like where you were when you left Asylum. <laughs> so funny your your road your roadmap to super true 
Yeah, I've I don't know if I've ever suggested on the podcast to just like feel free to skip a song, like don't even bother. But I'd say to skip Dreamer. If you're gonna listen to the album all the way through and you want it like for completion's sake, listen to it. If you want to find a song that you might recognize of, of Super Tramp and sort of start from there, you probably have heard Dreamer before, so you might be like, Oh, I know this song. Otherwise, just just skip it. <laughs> Do you uh any final thoughts or you want to just move on to your suggestion for next week? Uh, no, just thank you for connecting me to the dots with that band. That was good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Uh, for next week, I'm taking you down kind of a lame adult contemporary route. So it's Hosier. I don't know if that's how you say it. And it's his self-titled album. I am completely unfamiliar with this artist. So I'm going to need you to spell it for me. <laughs> H-O-Z-I-E-R. Thank you. I would have been like, H-O-S. Nope. It's like when we were looking up four eyes for Cupcake, and I was like, this doesn't <laughs> <Four>. exist. <laughs> <laughs> Number four E-Y. Nope. Yeah, uh, nothing. Okay, so we're listening to the 2014 self-titled album. Yeah, so yeah, for just to warn, you will hear that song that you've heard a hundred times that you probably want to stab in the face. But once you get past it, there's some interesting things to hear, I think. Okay. Well, I'm here for it. Thanks. Thanks for joining me on another unexpected San Steven episode. Fortunately, it's not like your second time joining us. So you're like a regular a regular member now. It's not like, so remember how you're guesting on our podcast? Well, now it's just you and me. Fun fact. We're going to sign off. Another episode. Hope you liked it. Sorry it wasn't too uh, about the band. but I think we might have said Super Tramp twice. But... Listen to Super Tramp, I guess. Next week, I will do some research a little bit. Yeah, we'll be a little better prepared. We'll be a little better prepared. Steven normally does a lot of our research and brings a lot of like band history and stuff. So if you listen to our podcast, you probably noticed that. So Angie and I weren't really prepared to record, but we all have also run out of time this week to push this any farther. So onwards and upwards, and we can only go get better from here. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth. <laughs>